The Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 6. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been relieved? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, and nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He had despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he has pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is taken from Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 25. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends, for before this they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and all the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to, de to deserve death. Therefore I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed, so Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is the word of the Lord. Um, wow. The each one who's participated has done very, very well. Thank you. We should see which one of you wants to volunteer to do the sermon. 
It has been just excellent. I'm very, very thankful. And I'd also like to say a word of appreciation to parents who make the effort to bring your children to church. It is the greatest investment that you're ever able to do. I know it's a lot of extra effort. It's a long time till, uh, as I recollect or look back in my memory to remember when we were rushing to get four children ready to go to church. And it didn't mean, it meant some mornings as we moved off to church, I was not the most gentle person to be in the car with, but it was always well worth it. And I just want to commend you. Make the effort. These are moments which there is no repeating of. And uh, it's something that leaves an impression and leaves something in your children that you can give in no other way. And I just want to say thank you. And thank you for each one of you who have participated singing and reading for us, and that will continue. Now today I want to talk to us, actually for the next two weeks, I want to talk and share about the cross of Jesus Christ. We're coming into Easter, and at the very close of the book of 1 John that we just finished, the last paragraph after he says that you can know that you are, that one has eternal life, he then goes through and says that we can know that we are of God. We can know that God is in us. And God has forgiven us and has eternal life. And then he goes and says, and we can know that those who are born of God, those who are truly Christian, those who are truly believers, are different than the world. And the Bible says there are only two groupings of people. Those who know God and belong to God and anyone else. And John says we can know that. And then the third we can know, he says, and we can know that God the Father has sent His Son Jesus. And Jesus has helped us understand that this truth of God has become true. And we live in what is true. And God, who is truth, lives in us. The idea He is communicating is that truth what is absolutely truth becomes individually, personally, for me and for you, it becomes true as we experience the reality of God forgiving us, as the children sang and expressed to us this morning, and God living in us. Remember, he defined eternal life as sharing the life of God. God in us. We in God. And how do we understand? Well, one of the most important things for us to understand, I believe, is what the cross of Jesus Christ, what Jesus dying on the cross is all about. And so this morning I want to talk about the idea of why Jesus had to die. And next week I'd like to talk about what happened physically and spiritually when Jesus died. But for this morning, we've had these verses in the book of Luke read to us. And in the, these verses, just to study them in general, many times I've mentioned to you one of the most helpful way, things I have found in studying the Bible 
is simply to look at things that are repeated. And we'll find as God's Holy Spirit has inspired Luke to write about this historical event of the trial of Jesus and Jesus being taken out to be crucified, several things are repeated. Because in that, the first thing that is going to be repeated again and again is that Jesus is innocent. Jesus is not guilty. Uh, in the paragraph before what was read to us in verse 4, Pilate also says after he has heard the charges from the chief priests and the crowds, he says to them, I find no guilt in this man. So in verse 4, the first time he says he's innocent, I find no guilt. And then as was read to us in verse 14, let me read that to you again. And he says there, And behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges. One time, two times, innocent, not guilty. The next verse, verse 15, Neither did Herod, the other regional ruler. He did not find him guilty, he said, because he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done for him. One time not guilty, two times not guilty, three times not guilty. And then if we look in verse 22, as they cried out to him, or in verse, yes, and a third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. One time, two times, three times, four times in these short passage of verses, it is repeated to us that Jesus is innocent. So the first thing as we study this account is that Jesus is innocent. He has charges made against him, but the rulers of that day have examined him and they say he is not guilty. And the second thing, a second general idea that comes again and again is that the people wanted Jesus to be killed. We find in verse 2, they bring charges which are very serious charges. He has taught the people wrongly. He has said we shall not pay taxes to Caesar, which was a, a big offense. And then thirdly, he has proclaimed himself king. In other words, these are serious charges that should have brought the death penalty. And so they bring that, and then again, they say it in verse 14, again they bring these charges. And then when Pilate has said to them, I do not believe that he is guilty at all, they change, and you find in verse 18, they say they all cry out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. In some of the older manuscripts, there's also verse 17, which clarifies this, which just basically says that at that time, there was a tradition that the rulers would release one person from prison each year just to show their goodness, their good intent. 
But in the oldest manuscripts, it's not there. Therefore, it's not in the, it, what you read this morning, but just to help us understand. So what they have heard is the people say, you must arrest him, you must try him, you must find him guilty. And Pilate has said, no, he's not guilty. No, he's not guilty. Herod said he's not guilty. And again, Pilate says he's not guilty. And then the people say, well, if he's not guilty of that, could you trade him? And you take the man, Barabbas, who is guilty. And you know he's guilty. And could you trade Barabbas, the guilty one, for the innocent one, Jesus? And if you get on into verses 23 and 24, 21 says, And they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! And then they go on, and in verse 24, they says they decried out with loud voices that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. And Pilate decided to give in to their demands. Before I go on, I would say this portion of the Bible reminds me very much this morning as I think about in Romans chapter 1, as Paul writes about, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. Because it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And it, in it is revealed the righteousness of God. And then if you follow down about in verse 18, he then begins to explain that all men are without excuse because of creation itself. And then there are three paragraphs where he repeats the words again and again. And he said, and the people they desired, and one it says, and they desired other things than God more than God. And so God gave them over to what they desired. In another paragraph he says, and they desired immoral things rather than the purity of God. And so God gave them over to their emotion. And then fourthly it says, and then they desired to worship something else than God. And God gave them over. Sometimes the most difficult thing in life, in our spiritual world, is when God allows us to have what we think we want. And with their voices, they prevailed. The first general thought flow is Jesus is innocent. The second thought flow is the people wanted him to be crucified. And they meet in the third, final paragraph, which we read today, which was the exchange that the guilty Barabbas, who is guilty of a death charge, is set free, and the innocent Jesus takes his place. We read there in verse 18, But they cried out, Away with this man, release to us Barabbas, a man, in verse 19, who clarif clarifies his position. A man who had been thrown into prison as a, for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And in case we had not got the point in verse 25, as Luke is inspired by God's Spirit, he repeats it. And he said he released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and for murder, who they had asked for, and he delivered Jesus to their will. What we find in that paragraph is it takes the concept the innocent is substituted for the guilty 
and the guilty goes free. The guilty find someone who is innocent, who is substituted for them, and the guilty goes free. And the innocent one pays the price that the guilty one should have paid. Now when you look at the flow of thoughts within these verses, I began to ask myself questions, and the first question I think we have to ask is, why did Jesus have to die? God is God. He could have done this in many different ways. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, of course, a general thing is, it was God's, the Father's plan. Even in the beginning, the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, verses 15 after the sin fall and God dealing with sin, he turns to Eve and says, and from you will come one who will crush the head of evil. And from there we have the Old Testament with many prophecies about the coming of one who will take the sin of the people and he will bear it himself. The innocent will take the guilt of the guilty. And in God's Bible, there is a continual theme and concept which God communicates to his people that the innocent can be substituted for the guilty. We find it in Genesis chapter 22. As Abraham takes his son Isaac, who had been promised to become the leader of a great nation, And God says to him, now it is time, Abraham, take your son up the mountain and you offer him to me. And there, maybe this afternoon over a cup of coffee or tea, you'd want to read Genesis chapter 22. It's an amazing moment. As they're walking up the mountain, evidently most scholars would think that the son was either a teenager or a young adult. And they're carrying the wood, and they say they carry the fire, which they could have had a, 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 a whatever it is in English, a fackle, but a torch, but they probably just had coals to light the fire. And the son turns to the father, and you have an unbelievable father-son moment. And the son turns to the father, and he says, Father, we have the wood, and Father, we have the fire, but we have no offering. And the father turns to the son. And I get to heaven. If there's an opportunity for us to sit down with Isaac, I want to ask him, what did your father's face look like? Because the father turns to the son and he says, son on the mountain. And then he uses the name of God, Jehovah Jireh, which means son on the mountain. God will provide in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is the faith chapter of the Bible, it describes this moment which said, and Abraham believed God was able, even if the boy died, to raise him from the dead. Jehovah Jireh. They get to the top of the mountain, they build the altar, and they put the wood on it, But then the father binds the son and lays the son as the offering. And you remember the account. As the knife is in the air for the sacrifice, the voice of God speaks out of heaven and says, Stop! Now I know. And then he says, Look. 
And over in the bushes there is a sheep which has been caught by its horns, which means it is not blemished, it is not damaged in any way. And they go and they take the, the sheep and they unbind the son. And the one who was to die has been replaced by a substitute. The whole priesthood in the Old Testament you would take your hands and lay them on the head of a sacrifice and confess your sins, the concept being that the sins were transferred upon that innocent one who then would give its life to pay. So we go through that and we find that very truth. So if God, why did he have to die? And if Jesus is not guilty then, who is, you see, this amazing sacrifice which was given, the exchange. Now, we talked about the plan of God. We talk about the love of God, that God so loved the world, it came in that way. But then if Jesus is not guilty, the other question is, who is? Let me just read for you. An excerpt of a sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost as God's Spirit was poured out upon the church after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his going back to be with the Father, and then God's Spirit coming. And he explains in his sermon what is happening. And then he goes on and he says to them here, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus, and listen carefully to what he says, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, it was God's plan, God's way of working. But then he says, and you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God's plan, God's love. Jesus came, but who is guilty? The people. And in case we miss the point, in verse 39, he repeats the same thing. This Jesus whom you crucified. He's very clear in telling what happened and where they've gone. And so, if Jesus is not guilty, who is? Well, we are. Paul writes in Romans, all of us have sinned. And then in chapter 6, he says, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So if Jesus is innocent and he had to die because of this and the exchange, why did Barabbas go free and Jesus died? I think one of the best books written in English at the end of the 20th century, just before the turn of the century, was The Cross of Christ by John Stott. It's quite a great work. Uh, and I, it's, in the it's in the library. I encourage you to check it out and read it. It's not an afternoon of reading. It's a couple days of reading. But in there, he has a chapter called The Self-Substitution of God. 
And you see, that is what is happening, isn't it? In, this is a historical event that Jesus died. It's a historical event about what happened as he was coming to that very point. And it's a historical event about the trial and this. It's also a historical event that that day, this man Barabbas was released and Jesus took his place. The innocent took the place of the guilty. And we've talked about how it is throughout the scripture, this idea of God of the innocent taking the place of the guilty and the substitution. And we see that happening. Now, it's not often in life that one sees that happening. I think one of the most graphic moments in my time as a missionary in Europe is a couple of times as we visited Poland and we were able to visit a death camp there called Auschwitz. And I learned only afterwards there was a beautiful story that's true, of course. There was a man who had a German father and a Polish mother who had become a priest in Poland. His name is Maximilian Kolba. And Maximilian Kolba was imprisoned. And one day in the prison, they actually had some people, I think, who had escaped or something. And anyway, they took and just rounded up ten whomevers, you, 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 you and you. And they gave them a death sentence. And one of those men, his name is Francisca, or Franz, Franzischek. Franzischek began to weep. And part of his weeping was, my wife will have no husband. My children will have no father. It's an interesting story. Google it when you get home. And in the midst of that, this man, Maximilian, heard his cry. And the amazing thing is, he walked over to the guard and he said, I am a priest. I would like to take that man's place. And the more amazing thing is, the guard said, okay, you may. And he went. And actually, there's a quote from Frantisek, which said, it was like I was in a dream. And all I could thank him with was my eyes as I looked at him. Because I was to die. And a man took my place. And Frantisek actually lived till he was 95. And wherever he could go and tell people about a man who gave his life, me who was to die, that I could live for until he was 95 years old, he told it again and again and again. Not often do we read of the one who is sentenced to die. Have someone come in who's innocent, who takes his place. But this Bible account of Jesus on the cross is exactly that. We who were guilty and God in the person of Jesus Christ came and took our place on the cross. Well, what does it mean to me and how in the world does that death of Jesus, what does it mean to me and how does it help me in any way? Let me read to you the way Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 2. It says there beginning in verse 13, And you who were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's the Bible's way of telling us 
Sins, we know what that means. We are guilty before God. Uncircumcision of the flesh means we didn't belong to God's people. So you who are dead in both accounts in your sin, look what it says. You were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the death. That's talking about Jesus. And then he goes on and says, God made it alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses or all our sins, canceling the record of the debt that stood against us and all its legal demands, he set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul explains on that day, what's the importance of Jesus taking the place of the substitute for you and me? It's because on that day, Everything, it says, everything that was written against you and me, all of the records, if you stood before God Almighty at the last day and they played a video of your life, everything that would be against God, he said, God nailed it to the cross. God the Father. Of course, God the Son physically was nailed, but God the Father took all of that and placed it upon him. The innocent became the substitute for the guilty, that the guilty could be forgiven and free. In Galatians chapter 2, he says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's only been one time. There's only been one person in all of history who was totally innocent, totally pure, totally righteous, totally, absolutely without sin, who actually offered himself and he took the place that belonged to me, to Dennis. He took the place that belonged to each one of you. And he took upon himself by stepping into our place the self sacrifice and substitution of God for you and me. That we could be forgiven and be free. And that's what John says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So why did Jesus die? He was innocent, but I'm guilty. What does it mean that if we trust and that truth which we have studied today, we allow that to become personally true for us, that we believe and allow God's Spirit to confirm in our heart that it is true, then we too have forgiveness. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, again for this day and for your love and grace. You are good. And Lord, thank you for this amazing gift of God. 
that you in the person of Jesus Christ went to the cross. It was your plan. It was your love. But Lord, the amazing truth is that you went and you took our place. Just as physically that day you took the place of Barabbas, spiritually for all of eternity you've taken our place. And we worship you and we thank you. And I want to pray for anyone who's here today who may not understand that fully yet or have never experienced the reality of that historical truth becoming true in their own personal life, that they experience that it's not only a fact, it is reality. I pray that you would work in each of our lives. And we worship you and thank you now in the name of Jesus for who you are and for what you've done. Help us as we go through the rest of this surface to experience you in Jesus' name. Amen.